Well, as you know, today is Mother's Day. So we come this morning worshiping together, but also just want to say happy Mother's Day to all mothers here. Uh, it is, uh, you are just such an immense blessing to so many. Um, and just want to thank you um, for serving the Lord and raising up children unto the Lord. And so want to just wish you a happy Mother's Day. And to that end, I'd like to, as we kind of get ready to go to the Word, just pray for you this morning and uh, kind of prepare our hearts as well as we go to the Word. So let's, let's pray, and I will pray that you would be blessed as a mother this Mother's Day as well. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your, your goodness and your infinite wisdom and your sovereignty, and your, your plans, and your knowledge. We thank you for ordaining family, for ordaining that we would have mothers and fathers. And we thank you, especially this morning, and rejoice in our mothers this morning, and thank you for them. I know uh, none of us come perfectly, but we just come thankful uh, for our mothers, and thank you for giving us these women and we just recognize how they have given they give so selflessly again and again and we thank you for that we thank you for their caring hearts for being there in our times of need we thank you for um, for them and I just know I personally thank you for my mom and I know that echoes out to every person here just all of us come with grateful hearts this morning and celebrating our moms, and we just thank you for them. And we pray that you would put your hand on our mothers and strengthen them. May you strengthen them in the Lord. And if they don't know the Lord, may you lead them to Christ, um, that they may see their need for Christ even today, that they may see their need for him, the one who is the true and the only Savior and uh, we just ask for your grace upon them that you would put your hand and, and strengthen. Perhaps, you know, it can be a daunting task um, being a mother. Just pray that you would put your hand on them and strengthening them unto you and to serving you all the more and serving Christ. May indeed they grow as servants of Christ and loving you more and serving and loving their children well. May you grow Mothers, all mothers here in wisdom, and we know that true wisdom comes from your word. And so we pray that you would grow them in that godly wisdom, that wisdom that is of your word. Lord, we pray your hand on them in these things. And we pray that you would fill them with, with words of teaching and words of kindness and teaching of kindness that you would just... Um, lead them in these ways and in your ways, O oh Lord. We pray as well as we turn to your word this morning that you would be with us as we go to your word. I know all of us come thirsty and hungry and ready to eat. And even as we just prayed that you would indeed speak, O oh Lord, and so may you do that this morning, and may your word and the truth of your word bless all of us and fill our hearts and our minds and our lives. 
So be with us, be with me. May your name be glorified, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We'll be continuing on in John 16. And so we'll be in John chapter 16, verses 4b through verse 15. So in these verses that we have here this morning, we have Jesus' last discourse on the Holy Spirit. Now, after this, in these verses we're going to be looking at here, he'll mention the Spirit only one more time in this gospel. And of course, we don't take that to mean the Spirit is unimportant, but we do recognize this is the last time he will be speaking on the Holy Spirit. And, and as I say that, perhaps, you know, you may be like, I don't know about the Holy Spirit, you know. And I think if, if we're honest, you know, the Holy Spirit or the third person of the Trinity is many times somewhat of a mystery to us, you know. And we may not even know what to do. We, we recognize the Holy Spirit is God. He is, you know, a person. He's not an it and you know, all these things, but we want to be like, what do you do with the Holy Spirit? And how should I understand the Holy Spirit? And, you know, going back a bit, and maybe you love the King James Version Bible, but, you know, it says there of the Holy Spirit that, you know, he is the Holy Ghost. And so maybe in your mind, you know, you're thinking this is a ghost, you know, some kind of mystical figure that we can't quite you know, wrap our minds around, you know, who he is and what he does and, and all these things. And then to add to all of that, and perhaps even adding a bit of a lot of confusion to it, we have many who are going around who really take all variety and they have all variety of claims that they make about the Spirit, you know. The Spirit told me this and he, he said this and he, he showed me this and, and all these things and and, and all these different claims and even kind of claims of revelation. Like he told me this in such a way that if you tell me anything to the contrary, I will not listen to you even if you show me from the Bible. You know, and so there are all these kind of things going on in churches all around us. People preaching, people teaching and all these things in the Holy Spirit. And so when we come to the Holy Spirit, we're perhaps maybe like, you know, a bit hesitant, like, what do we do? Or perhaps even feeling a bit odd, you know, well, how, do we, how do we understand the Holy Spirit? And so all of that can just make it all very confusing. And so often there is more heat than light. Well, thankfully, this morning with this discourse from Jesus, we indeed have much light for us. This morning, and not to add to the confusion out there, but to clarify who the person of the Holy Spirit is. And so, here in our passage, Jesus he teaches us on the work of the Holy Spirit one last time in this gospel. And so let's let's read here then, beginning in John sixteen verse four b, or the second part of verse four there. Um, until the verse 15. And so may God illumine by his spirit his word for us this morning. Amen. And Jesus says, 
I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority or on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus' words here, if you remember from last week, they follow really these very, very sobering words that he gave us that perhaps you're probably perhaps even reeling from since last week, you know, still thinking through it and thinking, man, wow, the world is going to hate me like that. His words like these where he told us, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. And then verse 19, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And then chapter 16, verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you would think that he is offering service to God. So if you remember, those are just these weighty kind of sobering words that are not these abstract kind of like, whoa, heavy, like, I mean, they're like just like this powerful truth that the preacher is preaching, like, but it has no bearing on my life. This indeed does relate to our world, 2021. He is speaking for us, and these are things that will happen to us as believers in Christ. So sobering words for us. And after hearing those words, you know, a question kind of weighs heavy over his words here. If this is true, how then with the world who so hates us, how will it hear us at all? How will it hear our witness? Hear our sharing the truth of the gospel with them and, and the disciples you know, after hearing this, they might have been thinking, you know, yes, we'll bear witness. I, I hear that. The Spirit will bear witness through us. I hear that. But how will that matter? How will the world's heart be humbled? I mean, how is that going to happen? I mean, they hate us so much. They'll put us out of the synagogue. They'll put us to death and all these things. So how will they be able to hear us? 
Well, here is where we find the great work of the Holy Spirit. And so we see here the Spirit's, first, the Spirit's convicting work. We see that in verses 4 through 11. Now, before we kind of fully dive into that point, we see again here this point first, that Jesus, at least under that point, is that Jesus is going. And, you know, that really isn't new information, right? We, we already knew that. We've heard that from Jesus in the gospel, and he's made that abundantly plain. But this reminds us of the context of his words. This is his, his farewell discourse. He is indeed going, and he's going to the cross. He's going to be buried, and he's going to rise again. And so it is in light of this going that this whole conversation began. If you kind of remember back, it all started in John 13. And if you remember there, you know, Peter, he had a question for Jesus. So in John 13, 36, he says, or he asks Jesus, Lord, where are you going? <laughs> you know, so plain enough, right? You know, you get that. Um, and then following that, you know, Jesus, he, he so graciously encourages their troubled souls, you know, believe in me. And then following that, Thomas, he asks kind of a similar question, Lord, Chapter 14, verse 5, Lord, do we, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And of course, that, that's followed by verse 6. Now at this point, in hearing all that, you might see a quandary here. Kind of a question mark that kind of hovers over Jesus' words. Because what did he just say? So John 16, 5, Jesus said this, none of you asks me, where are you going? But didn't, didn't they kind of just do that? Didn't they just ask Jesus not so long ago that exact question? So it sure seems like, you know, Peter just asked that question and Thomas sort of kind of asked that question too. So what do we make of that? Jesus is saying this in this way, and how is it? How do we understand this? And so we need to see that, yes, they did ask him that question with those words, but at the same time, they didn't ask him the question. They asked him, but didn't ask him, if you know what I'm saying. So, in other words, they weren't really getting at the heart of what Jesus is trying to teach them. He's trying to get them to see the bigger, broader picture of things, and they're not really quite getting it. And so, for example, let's say I'm talking with someone, you know, and I I say, you know, you know, eventually I'll no longer be around here. You know, my life will end. It'll be over. I'll be going away. And so following that, person I'm talking to, you know, they follow that with their question and they ask me, you know, well, where will you be going? Huntsville City Cemetery, is that where you're going, you know? 
So where's, where's your grave plot going to be, Andrew? You know, is that what, was that what I was kind of saying? You know, is that what was behind my statement there? And so their question is mainly kind of centered on all this practical stuff, but I'm not talking about my literal grave plot when I say that. I'm talking about I am going to go and be with Christ. I'm not going to be here in this world anymore. I'm going to go and be with him. I'm not talking about that practical, you know, like, here's my grave plot kind of thing. And so I think this gets close to what's going on here with the disciples and Jesus and kind of him saying this here. The disciples weren't really asking about where he is going in its fullest sense, like going, going. But they're asking more about logistics, like where are you going? You're going like around the corner, you know? Are you going to go like around, you know, the, the Jordan River? I mean, where are you going, you know, Jesus? We want to know where. And so they don't quite get it, and so the tone of Jesus' words is what we've really kind of been seeing all along, right? They still aren't quite getting what he is saying. <laughs> and that's not a surprise. We've seen that. They're just like, what? What do you say? I don't quite understand. You know, and they keep, he keeps telling them, and they still don't quite get it. And so we see that here, and I think that is the point behind his question here. And so in all that, at his going, their hearts are just undone, you know? It says their hearts were filled with sorrow or pain, grief, in verse 6. So Jesus is going, they'll be hated, and so now what? Well, here we see the incredible heart of our Savior he sees their sorrowful heart and he cares that they are sorrowful. He doesn't, he doesn't want them to kind of stay there. He cares about their heart. And so he provides a merciful answer to their sorrow-filled hearts. He wants to provide relief for them. He desires that their hearts would be filled with joy. And it's the same way today. He so loves and he so cares for each and every single one of you, children of God. And when your heart is filled with sorrow, he knows that. It wasn't just that he knew it here. He knows it now when you feel that way. And he cares just as much for you and your sorrows and your grief and in your pain. Amen. We see the incredible mercy and the incredible love and the incredible nearness of our Savior coming even alongside us in the midst of how our hearts can be so weighed down with so much. And so he gives them this answer. He would not have them miss out on the coming of his spirit by him staying by him going, the Spirit will come, and that is to their advantage. That is good. So in, in coming, 
the Spirit, when He comes at Pentecost, and when He comes and He is now has come, like Pentecost come, the Spirit, when He comes, He will come and He will convict the world. And He will come and convict. And that word convict, it basically literally means prove that the world is guilty. You know, I know we kind of say, like, I feel convicted. You know, well, this convict, conviction that he creates and causes and brings about, it has a stamp over it, a seal over it. It's like in the court of law, you know, he's coming and he declares to you and you and you and you and every person who doesn't know Christ, which was you at one point, he comes and he declares guilty. You are guilty before God. And it is serious and devastating for you. And so he comes and he does that. He convicts the world. And he does that in three ways here. And the first is the Spirit convicts the world of sin. So he makes it plain that sinners are sinners. (laughs) He shows the world that they are in this destitute, lost, rebellious state. And he shows them that the verdict against them is a sure, definite, 100% true, guilty. And so he shows the lost their guilt over their unbelief, the rejection of Christ, the rejection of God himself. And so he tells them plainly, you know that massive boulder that you've been carrying around with you? That, that 2,000 pound boulder that's been on your back and you've been carrying through all of your life as you've been, you've been going through life, as you went to school, as you went to college, as you got your job and you gained your success? Well, that weight, that boulder, that is the guilt of sin. And it is absolutely inescapable. Everywhere you go, it follows you around. And the Spirit kind of points it out and says, you know that big trouble that you've been having all your life, everywhere, you've never figured it out? It's because you're separated from God. So He convicts the world. And then maybe you right now. You know, you just, you just haven't heard any of that. You haven't realize that you haven't realized that that is indeed who you are you are a sinner separated from God and if that is going on in your heart right now that is the spirit of God saying yes you are guilty you are convicted judgment is coming outside of turning to faith in Christ so there's a story told of a man and his wife and they were given this Bible by someone and, and they just began reading it together and and so the man, you know, he, he began reading it and he did that as they kind of sat beside, you know, their fire and he, he read it and he, he turned and he, he says to his wife, you know, if this book is right, we are wrong. And so, he said that, and then he 
kind of keeps on reading, you know, and a few days later, again, he comes and he tells his wife, you know, if this book is right, we are lost. And so he, he kind of continues on and he reads more and just really eagerly reading and, and longing for some kind of hope in the midst of that kind of stamp over him. And he studied and he panted over it until one night he gladly comes and he tells his wife again, if this book is true, we are saved. Which is exactly what the Spirit does. He comes and he convicts the lost of their sin, the hopelessness of their situation. I am lost. And that now, through the word, he, through the preaching of the word, through the reading of the word, through the heralding of the gospel, he directs people to Christ. Amen. And this book is true. And if you believe it and you believe that he is a savior and you put your faith in him, you will be saved. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. And so he convicts us of sin. And then he also, it says, with the second aspect of his convicting is the spirit convicts of righteousness. Convicts of righteousness. And so with Jesus going to the father, the what does that mean? Well, that means that the, the righteous one will not be here. Right? He's not physically here any longer. And so the Spirit, what He comes and He does is He shows the great and the amazing and the infinite righteousness of God, which is absolutely terrifying because He also shows the depth of our unrighteousness before God. And so he shows that Jesus is the righteous one and we need him. It's this realization that there is not one drop of righteousness in me. All that stuff that I thought was kind of getting me closer to God, it didn't do anything. You know, it's this vast gulf and you can't get closer by going to church. You know, you're going to fall right off that thing. That's not going to make you over here and make you right with God. Being a good moral person, still not enough. Religion, all these things again and again, and you just will not make it. The gulf is not gapped by us. It's golfed by Christ and Christ alone Amen. in His righteousness. So the reformer Martin Luther, he once you know, wrote a friend who was struggling with this and with righteousness, and Martin answers, and Luther answers in the way that he would. You know, have you, he says, have you finally become sick and tired of your own righteousness and taken a deep breath of the righteousness of Christ and learn to trust in it. Well, the Spirit, He does that. He shows the depth of our unrighteousness and our need for Christ's perfect righteousness. Amen. So that's the second way the Spirit convicts us. And then a third way is the Spirit convicts of judgment. And so, so He comes and he, he, he shows the world 
and its ways, they are finished. They are done for. The devil is finished. The world's and the devil's rebellious reign has been given the death blow. And it will not be taken back. The world and the devil, this place we're living in, this world and its ways, it is a house that is on fire. And its time is short. And so the smoke is in the air. That means this is not where we need to be putting our hope, right? And so all of this, though, and seeing all of these things, it should cause us first and foremost to wonder and worship at his work in you. If you are here today and over you stands that name, Christian, it's because of this. It's because He did this in you, the Spirit. He convicted you. He showed you your sinfulness. He showed you your need for Christ. And He caused you to be born again. Even as Dennis read earlier, as Jesus said in John 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And if you are here, and you are a Christian, it's because of the Spirit of God. He did that in you. Praise the Lord. We we praise Him for that. We worship Him for that. So right now, as you all the weirdness out there regarding what they say about the Spirit of God, well, you you can know right now how the Spirit of God has worked in your heart and your life. He did that. So that's our first response. And then also, you know, we should be all the more emboldened in our witness. Let me just say, maybe you have kind of functioned that way and it's better to be honest than to kind of say, you know, God, I'm just going to act like I'm not that way and kind of put a mask on because I don't know if you know this yet, but, but God already knows. He already knows all your faults your sins, your failures, and everything else. He knows when you're being duplicitous. He knows when you're putting on pretense. He knows all that stuff. And so it's just better to be honest with God and say, yeah, I was being pretentious. I was just being, you know, being duplicitous in this. And so let me just say, just important for all of us to get this down, you are not the one who convicts. You are not the Holy Spirit. That is not your job. You are to be faithful and just declare God's word. I mean, isn't that just a weight off of you? You know, I don't have to do all that. I just declare and be faithful to the Lord. And the Spirit of God does all that other stuff. The world hates me, yes, but it's not my job to try to convict them of all these things. You just declare Christ. And and so this is the method of the Spirit's work, as Romans 10 makes clear. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to hear, or how are they 
to preach unless they are sent. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so, man, that it just doesn't that just embolden your witness? It's just not up to you. <laughs> you just go and be faithful, and he does all that. Yet also this morning, it is right also for us to ask, has he done this work in you? We'd be wrong to kind of come away and not ask this question of you right now. And he may well be doing that in you right now, each one of these things. And, and when you, you see that and you're, you're seeing, yes, I'm guilty, Oh man, all these things are right. I am not righteous. The world is judged and I'm going down with that ship if I do not repent. He is saying, come to Christ. Don't flee to the world. Don't flee dependence where you're just trying to like beat your body or trying to earn salvation or whatever it is. He's saying, don't do that. Just run to Christ as fast as you can. But if that is you this morning, the Spirit is calling you to come to Christ and be saved. And so we have seen here then the Spirit's convicting work, but we also see here another work or a second work of the Spirit that Jesus makes clear here, and that is the Spirit's guiding work. The Spirit's guiding work. You see that in verses 12 through 15. Now here we aren't, we aren't kind of left to wonder and work this out for ourselves. You know, Jesus, he, he makes it plain how the Spirit is going to guide us. And so first here we need to see that he, he, the Spirit, he leads us by his word. Now how do we see that? Let's remember who Jesus is talking to here. So who's he talking to? That's right. Context is everything. (laughs) No, he is talking to the disciples. That's not a surprise there, you know. And so we say, I say that. and, And so I say, yes, these verses have implications for us, even as I've been saying and we've been seeing. So yes, we say all that, but... These words, they were spoken to his disciples, the 11 disciples here. And so how do we know that? Well, you already know that, but let's just make it plain. We've been seeing this throughout. Peter's question, Thomas's question, Judas's, not Iscariot's question. <laughs> and so that's them. They're there. They're talking to Jesus. And more than that, The you there in verse 12, it's not talking about us. I still have many things to say to you, disciples, but you cannot bear them now, you, disciples. It wasn't us who couldn't bear his words right then and there as he's getting ready to leave and go to the cross. It was the disciples And that word now also. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now, as in that very moment. 
So there and then they couldn't bear his words. And, and also before those words, when he says in verse 4, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Well, was he physically with you when he said this? No, he was not. He was physically with them. So it is absolutely plain who he is talking to here. And what did the Spirit do in history? The Spirit, he came at Pentecost and he did come and he did guide them into all truth. And that is the word that we have right now. He led them by the Spirit. And so it is that we have the New Testament. Writing down the words and every word inspired by God. God breathed. And so it is with this book that we are guided into all truth. The Bible. And that echo just goes out throughout the New Testament. And so it is that we have what I just kind of alluded to there in 2 Timothy 3.16-17 through 17, when Paul, he says, all Scripture is God-breathed. Who's the breath of God in the Bible? The Spirit. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The man of God may be equipped or complete, equipped for every good work. So breathed out by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we're guided by His Word. You know, I remember once <clears throat> talking to a gentleman, you know, and we talked about a lot of things. <laughs> you know, we, we ended up talking for like two to three hours, so this is a long conversation. And it was mainly him talking, but, you know, um, we were talking. And so he told me all kinds of things, you know. Um, you know, he, he says, you know, he's a Christian, and he said, you know, the way I am guided by God is I look to the sky, you know, to the sky, you know, I look to the stars, I, I look to the billboards, you know, as I drive by them or walk by them, you know, I look to that feeling when the wind kind of blows against me outside, you know, and then that must be the Spirit kind of guiding me in my life and into all, into numbers as well, you know, looking at numbers on in magazines or books, or he, someone says a number to him, and he just says, oh, that's God, just telling me how to go and where I need to go, and he's guiding me through my days and into a whole variety of other things as well to find God's will, and this is how he kind of functioned. Well, let me tell you, God hasn't left us to wonder about his will. That's not the way he's given for us to find his will. We have God's will and God's word. Amen. It is by his spirit-inspired word that he guides us. And he's the one who determined that would be the case. It's not a hindrance. It's his plan. And so he, he guides us by his word. And then we see here second, that, we, that the, the spirit he glorifies Jesus. So Jesus, he says in verse 14, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
That's just an incredible thing right there. I mean, a thousand questions are resolved with that one verse. You know, this, this, is, this is no burden of the Spirit of God. Like, man, I've got to make much of Jesus, you know. I mean, I'm going to have to kind of be in the background and he's going to get all the glory. That's not what's going on here. The Spirit of God, when he is at work, he loves glorifying Christ. Amen. You wonder why he's not like in the foreground all the time? Well, this is why. Because he loves glorifying Christ. That's what he does. And this is what we see. If you just think about it, you know, we see that throughout the Bible, right? From Genesis to Revelation. He is always just pointing, right? Pointing forward to Jesus. He's getting ready to come. This, this is a point. This scripture is saying this is pointing to Christ. And then finally he comes. This is the Christ, you know? And then it's pointing back to him and saying, you need him. It's all about Jesus. Amen. And so the Spirit continually is directing our eyes to Christ. And so the Spirit doesn't make much of Himself, but He makes much of Christ. Now this doesn't mean it's wrong to speak about the Spirit, even as we're doing right now. Obviously, as John 16 here. And it's, it's not wrong to worship the Spirit. He is God. We are to worship God but see His work here. If you want to know if the Spirit is working in you, if you want to know if the Spirit is working in our church, and I don't mean just here in the services, but every facet of what we do is to have a flavor of Jesus being glorified. If you want to ask, you want to know if the Spirit is work in your family, what does your home life look like? If you want to know he's, if he's at work in our community, ask if Jesus is being glorified there. Then you'll see the Spirit of God. He is at work. And you will have your answer. Is he being glorified in your life? I'm not just asking that rhetorically. Is he being glorified in your life? In you? Is that what is typical of you? Like, put your name. Is that typical of Andrew? Jesus is being glorified in me? Well, that is what the Spirit of God does. And that is what he'll be doing in you. So it's no like, oh man, you're not talking more about the Spirit? That's not what he's doing. He's going to say, why aren't you talking more about Jesus? Why don't you talk more about Christ? And so here then we see, we see it well that we need the Spirit and the Word. The Spirit and the Word. You know, a number of years ago in Oklahoma, you know, I was working out at a gym and, and I got into this conversation with this woman. And, you know, she, as we talked, you know, I found out, you know, she's Christian and she goes to a church nearby and and everything. And as we talked, you know, I kept kind of bringing our conversation back to scripture because there's a certain things that she kept saying, you know, they were like, 
you know, what the, you know, and just kind of pointing it back to the word. And if you know, if, if you're from Oklahoma, where I am, northeastern Oklahoma, that's like where the health and wealth gospel started. I'm kind of pointing her back, like, but the Bible says this, you know, and just kind of, you know, doing it kindly, nicely. We're not arguing or anything like that, you know. And as I do this, she just kind of responds to me, and she says, you know, we can't put God in a box, you know. Friends, God's word is no box. Who gave us his who gave us this Bible? <laughs> no. Like, man, he, he confined us to this. This is not confining. He has given it as a mercy. It's no box. God has given us his word, and daily we are to eat of it. And as we do, he actively illumines his word by his spirit and he helps us to see it and he helps us to understand it and he helps us to apply it to our lives. We need this spiritual food just like you need food, like physical food. If you feel like spiritually drained in your life, it's because you haven't been eating the spiritual food you need. And so we need... The Word and the Spirit, and, you know, a couple of years ago, John Piper, you know, pastor, theologian, author, he wrote a very interesting kind of, I guess it was a devotional, perhaps, but he talked about how God actually spoke to him. So I just want to share this with you. Before you, like, tune out and say, wait, <laughs> you know, what's going on here? Just, just listen. So he, he wrote... Let me tell you about a most wonderful experience I had early Monday morning, March 19th, 2007. So a little while ago. So Monday morning, March 19th, 2007, a little after 6 o'clock. God actually spoke to me. There is no doubt that it was God. I heard the words on my head just as clearly as when a memory of a conversation passes across your consciousness. The words were in English. They had about them an absolutely self-authenticating ring of truth. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God still speaks today. As I prayed, God said, come and see what I have done. And there was not the slightest doubt in my mind that these were the very words of God. In this very moment, At this very place in the 21st century, 2007, God was speaking to me with absolute authority and self-evidencing reality. And then God said, as clearly as any words have ever come into my mind, I am awesome in my deeds towards the children of man. My heart leaped up. Yes, Lord, you are awesome in your deeds. Yes, to all men, whether they see it or not. Yes, now what will you show me? And the words came again. Just as clear as before, but increasingly specific. I turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There they rejoiced in me, who rules by my might forever. And suddenly I realized God was taking taking me back several thousand years to the time when he dried up the Red Sea and the Jordan River. I was being transported by his word back into history of those great deeds. This is what he meant by come and see. And as Piper continues and kind of closes out this, what happened here, he says, what effect did this have on me? It filled me with a fresh sense of God's reality. 
It assured me more deeply that he acts in history in our time. It strengthened my faith that he is for me and cares about me and will use his global power to watch over me. Why else would he come and tell me these things? It has increased my love for the Bible as God's very word because it was through the Bible that I heard these divine words. And through the Bible, I have experiences like this almost every day. And best of all, they are available to all people. If you would like to hear the very same words I heard on the couch in northern Minnesota, read Psalm 66, verses 5 through 7. That is where I heard them. Oh, how precious is the Bible. It is the very word of God. In it, God speaks in the 21st century. This is the very voice of God. Amen. So today, friends, if, if you want to hear from God, it's not, you know, 90 minutes in heaven or any of this stuff. You know, it's, it's going to God's word. If you want to hear from God, you want to know God's will for you and for your life. You want, to, you want to be guided by the spirit of God. You want to have a life that is centered on glorifying Christ. Well, then do this. Open your Bibles. Amen. Get in the Bible. Get in the word. And you'll hear him with every single word you read. And so it is through his word, the spirit guides us, leads us, directs us. And so we need the spirit in the word. And so in closing this morning, by the spirit of God, may we lift up Christ in the words of Christ. May that be so in your life, in our family, in our home life, in our church, in our community, and everywhere. Let's pray. Father, we come and just rejoice. Rejoice in your word. Rejoice that you're, you've spoken this morning through your word to us here in 2021. We thank you for your spirit. Your spirit convicts in all the ways we've seen this morning. And if there is someone here indeed who has been convicted this morning, may you bring them to yourself. Help them even now to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Help them to believe and put their faith in him. And may all of us come away worshiping and recognizing that is what you did in us. May it embolden our witness. May we go to your word and take it up, drinking it in as the very word of God for us today, being led by the spirit and the word. So help us, we ask in Jesus' name.